Welcome to the Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees. As always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. Um, I'm Emily B. I'm Kenzie. I'm Emily A. And I'm Abby. And with that, let's talk about stuff. I hear we got a fan shout out. Emily, what's your fan shout out? Yes. So this is one that I missed on the last episode for some reason. I don't know what happened. My brain just completely disintegrated, but it's fine. Um, Anyway, uh, so our shout out this week is to Naomi, one of our good friends um, that we work with. Um, we, we do you. miss you. You're wonderful. She wrote us the kindest message that she said, like our podcast basically makes her feel like she's just sitting around talking to her friends about animals, which is like the goal. Um, and so we just wanted to say that we love you. We miss you. And we heard you got a new job. So we want to say good luck. So okay. keep crushing it. We love it. Yeah. Um, really quick. I have some shout outs for our conservation Queens themselves because a, one of us is no longer an unmarried woman. That sounds so weird. It, it sure does weird. sound weird. <laughs> one of us so got the married. rest of us cousins here. <laughs> <laughs> Again. Sorry. Abby got congratulations. Way to go. Um, that's kind of why this, like, there's been a lot happening the past I'm couple weeks, sorry. which is why this episode's coming to you a little late. Well, no, it's okay. Um, Emily also, Emily B just went on a pretty cool trip to, I want to hear more about at a later I saw date. a bear. She went to the, <gasps> yeah, she went to the Great Smoky Mountains, which was the winner of the National Parks app, so I am jealous. It was yeah. a very fun time. She didn't even take me with her. Which next is time, ridiculous. next time, Emily. That was very rude Thanks. of you. I said next time. <laughs> it's not like she went it with was, her family or it anything. It was her B day trip. We'll give her a pass. Also, happy birthday! Yes, hey, and yes, happy birthday we will to be Abby. Celebrating. Yeah, yes. today's my actual birthday. <laughs> so now I have a lot For going this on. Episode, we're, <laughs> we're gonna celebrate Emily B's birthday, but then the next episode will be Abby's birthday. I'm and I have a feeling she'll get to choose. That I have a feeling episode. that episode is gonna be exhibit design Birds. of the prehensile oh. tail porcupine. Or we could just say bird bird rant. I'm okay with that. My people people have been asking for a bird rant. Let's do it. You heard it here first. We shall deliver. (laughs) We're like the USPS, but better. Oh, let's be nice to the USPS. My mother-in-law works for the USPS. They need help. Go help them. (laughs) Go buy stamps. It's true. All right. Conservation? So... Yes, next up, we got some really cool conservation updates this week. Uh, scientists found a massive coral reef on October 20th. Woo! Yes! It is the first to be discovered in 120 years. Like, holy cow. So they found uh, basically a detached coral reef that stands taller than the Empire State Building in the Great Barrier Reef area. Uh, so there's still lots of that area that have not been mapped out completely by scientists but this reef was discovered by australian scientists aboard a research vessel that is currently on a 12-month exploration of the ocean surrounding australia so they've been at it 
for a while. They COVID who on this research vessel? That kind of must be a little nice. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But they found a reef. And that's just like really amazing news for scientists and possibly new species, which is exciting. Uh, And then my other little piece of conservation news that I have for you all is that after 45 years, uh, the gray wolf has successfully been lifted off the U.S. endangered species list. Yeah, two pieces of some pretty nice news this week. So we need. Excuse me. Sorry. Adorable sneeze award. No, that was really cute, though. When you become a missus, your sneezes get cute. Really? It's it's a perk wow. they don't tell you about. Interesting. Yeah. Would not have guessed that. But you got zoo news for us? Girl? I got zoo news. I've got some pretty awesome zoo news. Um, first and foremost, Emily B, I thought this would be really interesting for you. The Honolulu Zoo is electing a mayor of the zoo. We do love the Honolulu Zoo. They so, are amazing. Their two candidates that are running are Rusty the Orangutan and Squirt the Giraffe. <laughs> Okay, I thought this was legitimately going to be a human person. Nope, they're animals. <laughs> There's so much gladder that it is not. They also have <laughs> profiles and platforms available on their Facebook and Instagram. Well, voting. I'm going to go vote for Rusty. Well, the voting concluded so. yesterday, so you can't. Dang it! So for everybody else, I know this is after the election, but you better have voted or Kenzie's going to come after you. I'm going to find your house and we're going to go through all the things you need to learn about being responsible and doing your civic duty. <laughs> I'm yeah. right now. You'll, I'm you'll wish she broke your name. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to do baby news this week, but there were so many babies. A lot of rhinos <laughs> next. Uh, <laughs> this I found today and it's really, really cool. Um, T-Mobile is actually partnering with Zoom Miami to produce an online learning curriculum called classrooms for conservation and with that they're also helping manage a recycling program for old electronic devices to help benefit all the gorillas in the democratic republic of the congo you loved it it was so cool truly stand for you team they're having (laughs) (laughs) also your network works at my work so i appreciate that um and then with that program, that's true. I have T-Mobile too. I'm <laughs> about that. <laughs> uh, with the program, they also are um, having a contest to see which classroom can get the most electronics recycled. Oh, so, I love if, that. Wow, love if that. you happen to be somebody under, I guess, eighteen years old, which according to demographics is nobody, um, or <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's <laughs> it's okay. fine. But go recycle. If you know someone that's under yeah if you're or know a teacher or if you're in charge of somebody with that like go go tell them to recycle all their old electronic devices uh it's a there's a mineral called coltan in them i think we talked about it before um and basically they'll help save gorillas and all the other kinds of animals in the african rainforest um finally there was a lemur that was stolen from the san francisco zoo a little while ago Oh my gosh, we never talked about this. I'm now realizing we might not have, but they, yeah. Oh my Somebody broke into the San Fran Zoo and stole a ring-tailed lemur. They just wanted as a boomafu, like an old man. Yeah, it was an old man, old man lemur who had medical, like he needed medicine on a daily basis. Like they literally, it 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 was was bad. bad. But anyway, um, so the guy who stole it apparently had stolen several things. So I have a feeling it is more than just like. I want a lemur. I think it's probably something else going on. Um, but 
there was a little kid who found it. He recognized the lemur in one of the classroom, like in the classroom at a school. And so he called the San Fran Zoo. And so the kid and his family were honored with a membership to to the San Francisco Zoo. It was wait on, on World Lemur Day. It was it was at the playground at this kid's school. Just to clarify, I'm, it was not yeah. in the oh, classroom. Okay. Well, but like he saw, yeah. <laughs> He saw on the news, like, you know, his family, like, saw that there was a lemur missing. And, you know, he goes out. He's, like, on the playground. And he sees this lemur in one of the tunnels on the playground. So, obviously, the lemur, like, escaped from the person that stole him and wound up at, you know, this playground. And the kid literally went, like, to the aide or the teacher and was like, hey, there's a lemur in there. I think it belongs. We got to call the zookeeper. Like, literally, that was a quote. Was he like, we got to call the zookeeper. And they, they went and they got the lemur and he was all good and the kid, yeah, and his family got passes for we life. We do love so. that. What a, what a hero right there. And yes, um, Emily, you're right. He Maybe he did want Zabumafu. I know. I mean, I would want Zabumafu. But lemurs are not pets, kids, That's true. so don't get uh, They're so No, I was watching ours earlier this morning and they were just sitting there like looking into the sun like we do love it. Um, All right. Yeah. Okay, let's jump into beluga news. The best segment, if I do say so. All right. Um, this so. whole episode's about her, and she still is like, but this is the best part. You know, every day I introduce beluga news, and every day there's a comment, and every day it's beluga me. news is still the best segment. <laughs> All right. Um, so this week, our beluga news is that um, Woods Hole Institute and NOAA just released a study um, that they are, well, actually, they just started a study and they released preliminary results is what's happening. So um, the Cook Inlet population of belugas, which I believe I've talked about before, it's a population of about 300 beluga whales that live up in Cook Inlet in Alaska. They are critically endangered um, due to a variety of reasons, but nobody can really pinpoint the main reason they're declining. Um, this population's been under protections, like federal protection since 2006, and they still don't know why their population continues to decline. Um, so what they're doing is they're taking skin biopsies of these belugas in this inlet to establish a biological baseline for them. Um, so that in the future they can see, um, if a whale passes away, kind of what's going on, um, and they can continue to monitor them. So that's a cool study that they're starting and hopefully they can figure out what's going on to protect these whales. Yeah, we do love it. Poor baby. Um, I actually have another piece of balloon. <gasps> I think I know best. what your balloon um, is. Yeah, so y'all have heard us talk about this lovely company before, but Trendy Wendy Beauty, which is a close friend of all of ours, uh, it's a eco friendly company that a lot of the proceeds of their products they make beauty products go toward conservation. And they just came out with a lip balm for Christmas time. It's is it just called? Beluga yes, balm? I'm literally wearing it right now. <laughs> I am too. Uh, yes. I'll say so. Full disclosure: I make the labels and the art for the for Trendy Wendy. And when she told me about that, I was like, first of all, Emily B is going. To flip. Yeah, this is for Emily, isn't it? Pretty <laughs> much. That was my first thought. I've been bothering her to make a beluga project pretty much since Trendy Wendy started. <laughs> and then. Um, <laughs> Yes, I've had one for quite some time now, and it's yeah. been amazing. I think it's my favorite lip balm that I have. I do really like the bongo balm. The beluga one is like tingly, <sighs> and it's minty. Yes, mm, which I like in my like lip the balm. minty cold waters that they live. Yes, in. amazing. Yeah, 
And we are certainly talking about some minty cold water. <laughs> That's true. So, wow, what the transition segue. was flawless. <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, so let's get to talking about our episode this week. So again, we mentioned that this episode we're celebrating my birthday and next um, episode we'll be celebrating Abby's birthday. So for my topic, we have chosen a deep sea battle royale. Um, so each of us have chosen a deep sea animal. We are going to debate which one is the best, and then either I or you beautiful viewers will get to choose. Uh, Even though Emily is also doing one. So was, tell me how Yeah, <laughs> I'm calling BS. You know, you just gotta, what's the word? Confidence is key, that's it. That's three words. <laughs> All right, fair enough. It's okay. It's a slogan, <laughs> not a word. It's a mo- it's a motto. Emily B. Twenty twenty. Hey, but Emily B. Why don't you tell us a bit about the deep blue sea? Of course. Yeah. So well. the short of it is that we don't know anything. About tea. <laughs> um, cool. I literally took a class in college about deep sea, and I, I mean, I learned things, I guess, but. The short of it is we really don't know much about it. Um, we truly know more about the surface of Mars than we do the surface or the um, bottom of the ocean. So That is so crazy. It's wild. <laughs> to be fair, there's um, a lot less water pressure on the surface of Mars. That is accurate. I, I mean, guess. the deep sea does make it hard to study. It's not like we can just like zip down there for a quick trip. Um, that but would be nice. The- I would maybe live there right now. That would be nice, but it would be under immense pressure. Uh, I don't know if it's more or less than the political pressure right now, but it is deep. This is going to date us real bad of like when we're recording this. Y'all, election day is tomorrow. And so if we're just kind of high strung, it's We're feeling it. We're feeling it. It's fine. We're going to release it tomorrow. Uh, We're going to release it like next week. I think the people will get it. No, we're going to release it tomorrow. Uh, We can do it. I believe in us. It's fine. Back to the deep, dark ocean. All right, so the deepest part of the ocean is actually over 35,000 feet deep. So to put that into perspective, that is deeper than Mount Everest by a bit. Um, Now, the deepest recorded whale dive, just for a little bit of some more comparison, is 9,000 feet. So the deepest dive of a whale is 9,000 feet, and the ocean just keeps going and keeps going, (laughs) like, four (laughs) times that. So wild. Also, side tangent. Um, oh, Cuvier's beaked whale, which is the whale that has been recorded to dive this deep. Um, first of all, has anybody even heard of a Cuvier's beaked whale? Yes. Not a- They're pretty, yes. um, not well-studied animal. Well, and I there's a like whole group- this is the wrong crowd to ask if you've heard of an animal because all of us are like. That's I- true. Yeah. But there are about 15, 16, um, beaked whales that have ever been recorded. And most of them have only been scientifically known from a prop like one or two species that basically either get caught in a fishing net or wash up on shore. So basically we know nothing about them. That's that just blows my mind that there are like 16 different types of whales out there that we literally know nothing about. (sighs) They look like a dolphin with a bad underbite. They do. They have like little tusky teeth. They're (laughs) quite cute. They're also pretty large. They're much larger than a dolphin. I would say they're smaller than a killer whale, but larger than like a bottomless dolphin for size. Anyway, Um, so more about the deep sea. Um, when we bring up specimens from the deep, it's usually an accident. It's not that we have gone out searching for these animals. They just end up in trawl nets and things like that. So a lot of what we know, um, scientifically from these animals is very few and far between. Um, but then there are research vessels that do study deep sea animals. And when you collect an animal from the deep sea, 
you have to use a special pressurized system because the pressure down at these depths is so high that when you bring these animals to the surface, um, it can deform the animal. They basically explode because the pressure appears much less than what they're used to. So if you've ever seen those photos of a blobfish, that blobfish has yep. been brought from the deep ocean up to the surface, and that's why he looks like that. It's not that he looks like that under the sea. Yeah, the picture Water pressure is swimming, a hell of a drug. The picture of him swimming, uh, he still looks... Corby. He still looks like a blob, but like it's a lot less like a, a droopy old man. Yes, exactly. Um, let's see. So the ocean becomes dark around a thousand meters. And again, for comparison, the ocean is 35,000 feet deep. So 3,000 feet, there's light of it, and then the rest of it's dark. So most of the ocean is deep, dark ocean. Scary. Right. Yes, there's a lot down there. All right. So I believe going first, leading us off for the battle royale is going to be Katie. Woo! Let's go. Let's okay. go. So I, um, it's kind of funny because if y'all remember the um, Creepy Crawlies episode where we talked about animals that we might not feel super comfy around sometimes, you know, we've all been there. Um, I mentioned that I'm not the biggest fan of crabs and like lobsters and those kinds of animals. So naturally, I chose a deep sea creature that is a lot like that. That because is upsetting in, to me. <laughs> in my own words, uh, the more you learn about an animal, I feel like the less you are afraid of it. And the more you can at least have a slight respect for it, perhaps. Maybe I found a plush so of I'm, one. Of a, of a giant, I suppose. Yeah. No, thank you. But hey, that was also the episode where you don't have to want to cuddle an animal to respect it, right? It has little babies on its back. Don't want to cuddle with the giant isopod. Oh, I'm so showing you a picture. What is a giant isopod is what I'm sure some of you might be asking yourselves. They've existed for 160 million years before the breakup of Pangaea. Those were the days. Now, the giant isopod, here's the crazy thing. It's a general term for any of the almost 20 species of large isopods in the genus Bathynomus. I'm going to say that's how you say it, Bathynomus. <laughs> now, the largest well-known isopod of all these species is called Bathynomus giganteus. Makes sense. So it doesn't even have a common name. Like, that's... That gets me. When an animal doesn't have a common name, I get there's a lot of them out there. But, like, can't we give it some sort of name? Well, if they had a common name, it would be terrifying creature it would just with too be many a legs. Giant roly-poly. That's true. So, basically, what a giant ice pod looks like is take a little pill bug, roly-poly, or wood louse, whatever you call them. You see one scurrying in a log. Take that and multiply it by 100. And give it a lobster tail. They, yeah, they do sort of have a lobster-like tail. They are related to these little pill bugs, roly-polies, and wood lice. Uh, they are related to each other. Um, something cute about the giant ice pod is they are a pale pink color, so I guess they got that going for them. Uh, they have seven pairs of legs. Too many. You do the math. That's 14 legs in total. And they're covered in a rigid exoskeleton composed of overlapping segments. How delightful. And as far as their size is concerned, uh, they're broken up into two categories. You have your giant species, like quote-unquote giant species, uh, 
Um, that is going to be between three and six inches long. Too big. Okay. I could deal with that. No, that, that's okay. I have a ruler there. Okay, but like a normal roly-poly is like a quarter yeah, of an inch. we'll compare that to a normal roly-poly. And yeah, we do maybe, okay, a little large. But get this. The second category is super giant species. And they're between six and 20 inches. Mm. And that's where your Bathynomus mm. giganteus is well, going right, to come right. into play. Now, there That's a large sea cockroach. It sure, yeah. <laughs> a large sea cockroach, <laughs> if you'd like to call it that. Now, just because they're really big doesn't mean they don't have predators, but like a little woodlouse, they can curl up into a ball when they're threatened to protect themselves, which I think is almost kind of cute, you know? Like a uh, armadillo. Yeah, like an armadillo. Um, there's like a very specific animation going on in my head right now. Like I can't place what animated film it's from. I feel like it might be that armadillo oh, in Road to El Dorado. No, there was one with a roly poly, wasn't there? No, it's um in Emperor's New Groove where Kronk cracks open the giant ice pot. Yeah. Oh. Mm. Ew. No, it was definitely alive in the one I'm oh. thinking. But thank you for also reminding me of that. Because <laughs> I forgot about that too. Hold the lever, Kronk. the lever. So yeah, but so you're thinking, oh, these like poor little like sea Roombas all the way at the bottom of the ocean. Sea Roombas. That's actually, you know what? I take that back. Sea Roombas, that nickname is uh, reserved for horseshoe crabs. They are actually a <laughs> They look like life. a Roomba. Katie, are you, yes. please tell me you're referring to the picture that somebody posted of their Roomba that they dressed up as a horseshoe crab? No. What? Okay. I almost said it to you today. Remind me to try and find it again. Please send that to Wait. me. Oh my god. One of my friends has a Roomba and they named it Sarah. So whenever it gets stuck, they go, Sarah. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Have you guys seen the thread of somebody who taped a knife to their Roomba and like talked yep. about how like if aliens were here, they would be so confused? I think okay, there are many things what? that would confuse an alien. Okay, back to the aliens True. of the deep. Yes. So yep. uh, <laughs> here's what those little aliens of the deep like to eat. They are mostly scavengers. So they're feeding on dead whales, fish, and squid that are all the way at the bottom of the ocean that fall down there, which I don't know if y'all have ever seen. I don't know what documentary it was. Um, but there are some documentaries out there. David Attenborough was definitely talking during it. Where they have some footage from the deep sea. And you just see this like giant whale carcass. But then yes! there are all these alien-like creatures all over the carcass just eating it. And it literally looks like it's from a horror movie. Emily, didn't but, you, you have know. like a... You saw something about that recently, didn't you? Yes, I would like to be a whale fall. A what? what? A whale fall. That's what it's called. Okay, but you would why like do you to want be to be the be fallen one. whale? Okay, so we were talking about when we die, what do we want to happen to our bodies at work the other day? What, um, what happens <laughs> at that location? Wow, that's dark. Well, Fun. you know, we're pretty existential. So, um, so you know, someone said, oh, I want my remains sent to space and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, I want to be a whale fall. And if you're not familiar, a whale fall is what Katie just described, where a whale dies and sinks to the bottom of the ocean and all the scavengers get to eat all of the deliciousness. Um, and I would like to be a whale fall because what better life to be than to be a dead whale? I just think that would be great. I think there are a couple other things I'd rather do, but go off, Emily. I just think uh, it would be great. I could provide so many scavengers with food. 
So yeah, one of those scavengers would be a giant wow. isopod. So um, but here's the thing. Giant isopods also prey on slow-moving animals like sea cucumbers and sponges. And there is some evidence that they may also eat fish. Like Yikes. attack and hunt down fish. Because they're pretty infamous for attacking and destroying fish caught in trawls. So, yikes. They could be, when they gotta be, you know, there's not a lot of food in the deep biome. So they got to do what they got to do when food is around. Now, they are found in cold, deep waters of the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans. And the depth record for any giant isopod is about 8,200 feet deep. But they're also found in waters as shallow as 980 feet, which doesn't sound shallow at all to me. But okay. Um, Can't we go like... like, Humans can go like 60 feet max, right? If we have like... Well, you know what? That's fine. Because I don't want to um, go the deepest free dive anyway. without gear was about, I think, 200 or not 200, like 180 feet, maybe. Wow. That's crazy. That's People crazy. are wild. Now, like I said, food is scarce in the deep sea. So one adaptation giant isopods have to survive is they go long periods of time without food. Now, hence this insane story I'm about to tell you guys about a giant isopod that lived in an aquarium in Japan that went for four years without eating anything. This is a wild ride, so strap in, folks. That's what my is. So there was Whoa. a speci- specimen. Um, he was lovingly named Giant, giant Isopod Number One. <laughs> and, yeah. Japan's he getting real creative. From- <laughs> he was taken from Mexican waters and brought to the Toba Aquarium in Japan. Now, he was... Uh, He weighed over two pounds and was almost a foot long and lived in this aquarium. And his little exhibit was like living his little life. Um, Actually a very popular exhibit in that Japanese aquarium because apparently I learned this when I was researching um, children in Japan have phone cases that are shaped like giant isopods. And it's like a very popular thing. wild you you can google it it's it's interesting i kind of want one though it's kind of neat looking for the iphone but anyway that's not the point point is he settled in at the aquarium and at first everything was fine he was doing everything a giant isopod would be expected to do you know scuttling around eating staying still and then scuttling around more katie so you're telling me katie that you thought an animal was terrifying and then you yeah. learned more about it. And now yeah. you kind of like it. A little bit. That's wow. kind of we where we're going. We do love an educated queen. One day, it nibbled on some horse mackerel and stopped eating and walked away from its food and wouldn't finish it. So its caretaker was like, weird. Like, um, why don't I try different foods? Maybe, like, try pushing it toward him. Um Nothing. Tried changing the temperature of the water. Nothing. And then months went by and he would not eat anything. Years went by. Nothing. But he's still kicking. Like all of all of 2011 and all of 2012. And then it like, got to be like a big thing where people would come to the feedings at the aquarium to see if it would finally like eat. <laughs> and it did not. And like it's tried and what it ended up doing is the um giant isopod would actually get really close to the food item and would almost look like he was eating it, but he would never actually eat it. It would never actually go inside of his mouth. 
So he would just play with the food. And this continued on for 2013. Um, and actually, it was five years, five years without a meal, which um, no animal in human care has refused food for that long. Um, but no one could figure out why. And then he actually did pass away um, in 2013. Um, but when they, like, performed, you know, they did an autopsy, but that's not the right word. Whatever it is for Not animal. Thank you. Um, there was no blockage. There was nothing that would explain his stubborn behavior. And there was never an explanation found. So Spooky. At the end of the article I read was like, maybe it was sick. Maybe it was angry. Maybe it was stubborn. But whatever it was, it managed to say no thank you for 1,868 days. Wow. <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything else to say about that story except that's a giant isopod for you, I guess. Um, crazy, uh, yeah. But but then on the opposite end of that spectrum, they've noticed, like observing them in the wild, that if they encounter a significant amount of food, um, they will literally gorge themselves to the point of rendering rendering themselves immobile. <laughs> So me, I think so. <laughs> they are they are extreme animals, all right? And I kind of respect that about them. There's no in-between for the giant isopod. Um, but my last thing I want to say about them is that even when we are in the depths of the ocean at these literally unreachable places, um, analysis of three speci- specimens in the Gulf of Mexico of giant isopods found large quantities of plastics in their stomachs. Ugh. So our actions even affect animals in some of the mo- most remote places on Earth. Even where we think it might not, it still can. And so it's important to reduce that plastic, baby. And that is where I shall end. Excellent. Go giant isopods. Plastic, I'm really baby. proud of that. <laughs> thank you thank you all right so i'm gonna go next i do appreciate the giant ice pods um one of the greatest things i learned in undergrad katie that reminded me Mm -hmm. um is the difference between isopods and amphipods and an amphipod is flattened oh i'm gonna mess this up (laughs) Mm. one of them is flattened dorsal like dorsal ventrally and the other is flattened like the other way. And so I yeah, used to remember it that one is hot dog and one is hamburger style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's totally that's a great way to put it. You're right. I love that. Anyway. Thank you for sharing. So yeah, isn't that ice pod pushy cute? Okay, I actually do love it. I just saw Abby's picture that she sent of the isopod plushie. It's very and cute. I am actually kind of in love, not gonna lie. <laughs> All right. So with that I'm going to talk about my uh, deep sea animal of choice, and I want you all to know that this was a tough, tough decision that I made, Um, but I decided to go with a whole phylum (laughs) because, darn it, you know, it was just very difficult, so I just decided to take a whole phyla. That just seemed like the reasonable choice. Um, So we're going to talk about tinafores, and if you don't know what a tinafore is, maybe you've heard of a comb jelly. Um, They are little, I would say, oval-shaped animals. They look very similar to a jellyfish in that they are transparent and gelatinous, Um, but they are not a jellyfish in any way, shape, or form, but they are comb jellies, and so let's talk about them. So tinafore means comb bearer, which is in reference to the eight rows of 
their eight comb rows or their eight rows of cilia, which are their little hairs. And that's how they move. They beat their cilia. So they, they're like, um, I don't know how to explain it. They're just like, they move all their hairs at once. It's very strange to watch, um, but that's how they move. So it's not like a jellyfish where they're pulsating that bell. Um, these guys just have eight little rows of little hairs and they beat those and that's how they move around. Um, tinafores have been around for over 500 million years, which ah, dang. is very old. Um, they got isopods beat. That's too <laughs> not as old as me, but very old. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I just had a birthday. That's why I feel old. Hey. I feel that. Hey, you I'm older than you, you. You are not as ancient as I am Aren't yet. Aren't just like one year older than me, though? Ooh. Everyone always forgets how old Emily B is. Not that I'm so old. You know. That's a how little Emily A is because she's a baby. She is a baby. All right. Um, so again, they're not a jellyfish, um, but most people kind of lump them in the same category because they are gelatinous. Um, but again, they don't have a medusa, which is that pulsating bell that most people are familiar with in a jellyfish. Um, they don't have a similar body plan. I just talked about how they move differently. Um, jellyfish move their bell and the tinafores move their cilia. And then size is another big difference. So jellyfish can come in teeny tiny size or extra giant size. Uh, <laughs> or scary yes. <laughs> size. They, pretty much any size is scary. And comb jellies pretty much max out at the size of like a grapefruit. Maybe an apple. Yeah. They're not very big. Most of them are as big as a blueberry. They're very small. <laughs> yes. Um, they're very small. So they don't have a brain, which I think is quite entertaining. Um, but they have what's called a nerve net, so they can sense things around them. So it's like having a brain all over your body instead of just having one brain. So really more advanced. Um, they also don't have any eyes, but they have what are called ocelli. And if you listen to the giant clam episode, you may remember that word. Um, ocelli just means a little light sensing organ. So they can tell what's light and dark, but they can't see around them like we can. Um, something else that makes uh, tinafores different than jellyfish is there's um, the way they catch their food. So jellyfish have stinging cells. Um, if you ever ran into a jellyfish, you might know that quite personally, um, which are called nidocytes. But the tinafores do not have those. They have these special sticky cells. So instead of stinging you, they stick to you um, called coloblasts. So that's kind of entertaining. Um, they also, really tinafores are just a magical place where there's so many specialized groups of cells and I could go on and on about that, but they also have uh, special cells called statocysts, which is basically like um, like a little compass inside of their cells that tells them, are they going up? Are they going down? It's like a gyroscope. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, it can tell help them with directionality. So they can tell whether they're going up or down or side to side, which might come in very handy if you're, you know, 9,000 feet under the ocean um, and you can't see anything. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, it could come in handy. They also have little mouth pouches, so like cheeks, but like extra, um, where they hold their tentacles. And I just thought that was just a thing. Um, like they just keep their tentacles tucked up in their mouth when they're not using them, and then they just like unfurl them, which is kind of frightening. Um, they Most of them have a very simple body plan, which is literally just a mouth and a stomach. And I feel like I could relate to that most days. Um, just a mouth and a stomach. That's all I am. 
Um, oh, the reason that I think Tina 4s are the best is because they are beautiful. I think they are so pretty. If you've ever seen a Tina 4, they do live in shallow areas, especially in warm um, climates. So here in Florida, we see them quite a bit. They look like they are covered in rainbows. Um, has anybody have, ever seen them? Not in real life, yes. but I, I pulled up some pictures to stare at while you were talking about them. Yes. they I've seen them at the Boston Aquarium. Yeah. So they literally just look like they are pulsating these rainbows, which is wild. Um, it's so gorgeous. It was so I like sat in front of this tank for literally 10 minutes. They're beautiful. <laughs> and if you watch them. any deep sea documentary, they always show tinafores because they are so like beautiful. They just Or octonauts. There you go. Perfect. We love that too. Oh, yeah. Um, but the, some people think that this is bioluminescence. Um, it's actually not. It's just light diffraction. So if you shine a light on a comb jelly or the sun hits them or any type of light source hits them, you can see that um, rainbow effect. Um, but that's not to say that they are not bioluminescent. Their bioluminescence is just not rainbow. Um, most species of tinafores that have been studied are actually bioluminescent. Um, but it's usually just like a faint blue or a faint green and you have to be in total darkness to see it. So if you're shining a light on them, you'll get that rainbow effect. If you're in total darkness, you're just going to see their um, glowing effect. Aren't, so. there, aren't there the kayaking tours that you can do where you can see the bioluminescence? Yeah. Yes. yes. There's one very close by us It's here. true. Um, but I just think, you know, as the kids would say, they're lit anyway. Um... You didn't hear it from me. We're trying to be hip with the children. I was going to say, can you tell I'm very old? <laughs> uh, so there are about 200 known species um, in this phyla. So the entire phyla, there's only about 200 known species compared to jellyfish where they're cnidarians and there's over 5,000 known species of cnidarians, which is wild. Um, but comb jellies can be found in all known marine environments, so shallow, deep, um, all oceans um, as deep as 9,000 feet. So definitely in that deep, dark sea. And that is my closing really statement for them is that they're awesome and they're everywhere and they glow rainbows, which is great. Um, also, I wanted to mention, um, I actually had the note here to talk about whale falls, which I'm so glad Katie brought them up. So I actually got to do that already. <laughs> Check. Um, but I also <laughs> wanted to throw an honorable mention to sea pigs. Um, listeners, do yourselves a favor. Just Google sea pig right now. Um, it's uh -oh, a type of sea cucumber that lives in the deep sea. They have almost legs, which is very strange for a sea oh. cucumber to have. And oh. they're pink and large. Oh, and I, I just think they're cute. I don't know, man. They're, they're cute, squishy. but weird and look like an alien. It sounds like, like most of the deep sea. You know what it looks like? It's like one of those toys <laughs> you get at like the roller rink after you've won <laughs> tickets for the arcade. Yes, yes that's they exactly like what they look like. Squishy. You're Wait, absolutely right. There's a meme of a tiny crab hitching a ride on a sea pig. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, that's tiny really crab. Oh, and sea pig. Oh, please, Google. Please. Baby Please. crabs hitch rides on sea Oh, pigs. my God. I see it. Yes, that's great. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Young king. Oh, oh, you know what kind of crabs they were? <laughs> they were king crabs. <laughs> they're babies, but they don't oh. get big. <laughs> yeah, I've seen those crabs when they're big, and they don't stay that small. I almost picked um, king crabs. Or not king crabs. What's the other Spider really crabs? One? Spider crab. I almost picked that as my animal. And then Everybody picked crustaceans for the deep sea battle where I did not. we all know that Emily does not like crustaceans. I didn't pick that. Okay. 
That's why well, you know what? I do went I? To the Wait, before you move on, I'm really sorry. There's an article that I found on Google Images that's called When Pigs Get Crabs, A Story of Symbiosis. Wow. Oh my I god. That's kind of funny. Um, well, Emily, I have quite the animal for you. Um, it is not a crustacean. It's a velvet belly lantern shark. And contrary to their name, uh, they're not soft boys, but they are shiny boys. I win. I win already. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, well, um, they are one of the few known species of sharks that use bioluminescence, which apparently is different from biofluorescence. Yeah. Yes. News to me. Anyways, <laughs> um, they're also one of the smallest sharks known in the world, and they're about the size of a human hand. A baby. They're so small. Uh, they're found off the Mediterranean and Atlantic coasts, ranging in uh, very different depths from only 230 feet to all the way to 6,500 feet. Oh, mama. Yeah, that's a lot. So, basically, they can be in light and in pitch darkness, and they're fine. Um, I thought this thing was really cute. Apparently, they have, like, these little pockets that help them become bioluminescent. It has pockets? Oh, my (laughs) God. This shark has pockets. Do you guys know that from TikTok? (laughs) No. No. Wait, hold on. I think I got it. Oh, <laughs> it is fucking. <laughs> it is a really stupid YouTube video. We have anyway, to stop recording these at late night because this is when it gets weird. <laughs> nah, I think it's um, great. So I tried to understand how it uses these pockets for bioluminescence, but I genuinely cannot comprehend it. So I don't know, but they have them. Um, also, shout out to the recently discovered um, pocket shark that also glows. But back to the velvet belly lantern shark. Um, this was, I think, the best part that drew my eye to learn about them is that they're famous for its lightsaber glowing spines on its back. And That's yes, pretty sick. Scientists called them lightsabers. <laughs> you got a Jedi shark out no there. No one realizes how nerdy scientists actually... We are a lot nerdier than everyone. Like, we're nerds, but then it's like we're nerds and geeks. Yeah. With PhDs. <laughs> except we don't have them. Except not. <laughs> <laughs> the purpose of the glowing spines is actually to warn off predators. Um, it's basically like them saying, Hey, don't eat me, because if uh, you try to eat me, I'm going to stick you with my pokey. <laughs> That's fair. (laughs) I'm just going to say that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's not until I say these things out loud do I realize I should not. (laughs) Emily Emily A is like typing them up and she's like, oh, this is going to be so great. (laughs) She says it. She's like, oh, shoot. (laughs) And that's me. (laughs) What is wrong with this? I'm tired. There's a whole <laughs> list I got in alphabetical. <laughs> <Wow>. Correct. <laughs> we got files, man. 
Okay, anyways, I'm going to stop being weird now. <laughs> Please don't. I'm uh, enjoying it. Great. Uh, so their sides also glow, um, which is kind of weird. The reasoning is because it helps them swim together in schools. Because, uh, you know, they in the abyss and they can't even see each other. So, and able to swim That's in rough. school, they got to glow. Why got to have eyes? Why have eyes? <laughs> why, why it has eyes? Um, the coolest part, I think, is that their bellies glow, um, and it literally makes them disappear in the water. What? Okay, so this is, um, actually a type of countershading. Are you guys ready to have your minds blown? Yes. Uh, Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so this actually happens in not only this shark that you're talking about, but it happens in a couple of other different types of fish. Um, and it's, gosh, there's a specific name for it, but I can't think of it, but they're, Bellies will glow to the ambient light around them. So, like, Mm -hmm. for example, if a fish is swimming, I don't know, like, a couple hundred feet down where it's not, like, bright, bright light, it's, like, medium blue, they will make their bellies glow the same blue of the water around them um, Um, or to match, like, the sun above them so that they mm -hmm. essentially disappear. Oh, my gosh. Nice. Yes, it is a very fancy form of countershading found um, not very frequently, but in some fish and then this shark. Work better, not harder. Yeah, yep. Emily, Emily B coming in with the science. <laughs> science. I'm gonna yeah, try and figure so out what the name of it's called anyway. This um glowing Oh wait, I remembered. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I didn't even have to go I like started to Google it. It's called counter illumination. There you go. Fancy. Um so this counter illumination in uh the Velvet Belly Lantern Shark. <laughs> Um, was only recently discovered, um, and that's actually because uh, when they glow, it actually is invisible to the human eye for them to even see it. What? So these guys literally have invisibility cloaks built into their skin, is what I'm hearing. Yes. I want one. That's cool. They're like they're like Jedi in the sense where they're like you don't see a shark here. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shark here. <laughs> Something else really cool about their glowing, um, it glows in like patterns, and the pattern is unique to the individuals and the genders. They real fancy boys. Um, and another fun fact, I found that their skin naturally protects them from bacterial infe- infections. Um, so it's actually like a natural antibiotic. Cool. Well, that's yeah. awesome. Now I want to you know, <laughs> be a shark. <laughs> I always want to be a, a shark. Sorry, yeah. I'm... Listen, you know, I'm just proud of myself that I found an animal that was genuinely cool and not genuinely, like, weird AF. Hey! All my animals I pick are weird AF. No, I'm talking about myself, okay? My favorite animal is a hyena because they're famous for all of their weird things. <laughs> That's true. This is fair. Literally, didn't did not mean it that way, but you know. Here we are. So, Abby, what the heck is your weird animal? Then? <laughs> well, us. in true Abby fashion, I picked one that I just think does not make a lot of sense because those are my favorites. I picked a chimera. Ooh. Well, I'm gonna quickly Google what the heck yeah. that is. So yep. you have to Google chimera <laughs> fish. Um, because Chimera is actually a monster from Greek mythology. Okay, I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah. 
Yeah. Was, wait, this thing looks cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Whoa. So it's a, the, in Greek mythology, it was a hybrid monster with the head and body of a lion, the head of a goat. There, there are two heads. Um, but it, the goat one is attached to his back. Uh, and the oh, tail and the head of a snake. So, Well, this fish definitely doesn't look it like sure that, doesn't, but, but they're still cool. I still kind of like them. So here's the crazy thing. Um, I would say that chimeras, which are also known as rat fish, because they kind of look like rats. They, um, they are almost like the very first sharks because they are cartilaginous. Ooh. What is Wait. cartilaginous? Abby? Well, I'm so glad you asked, Kenzie. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, um, animals like sharks and rays have cartilage skeletons. So if you feel the very tip of your nose, I like to say I feel the top of your ears because I think it's easier to kind of understand. It's that like tough, bendy material. And that's what um, chimeras, sharks, and rays all have um, as their skeleton rather than having actual bones. So... Um, they were the first fish to evolve um, out of the jawed vertebrates, and chimeras uh, branched off 170 million years ago. Dang it, they're older than us. Gosh darn it. <laughs> Which I think is pretty cool. So they're, they're these real wacky looking animals, and I'll tell you. I'm looking at a, a gif of one right now, and it looks literally exactly like that little ghost dog from The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. Zero? Yes. Yeah. Like, I'm in love. I mean, chimeras go by a lot of names. They're also known as ghost sharks, which, they're not sharks. Um, ratfish spookfish, which I think is my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. um, or rabbitfish. Uh, but ghost sharks are also, there's another thing called a ghost shark, too, so it gets real confusing um they can live um up to 2600 meters deep so not super duper duper deep but like enough right that's 8500 feet that's a lot that's a lot um there's a couple that live in shallower waters that live to like 600 feet deep which is still pretty deep but you know um they can get really far down there so chimera skeleton or uh, chimeras are in the member of the class chondrichthys, which is the same as like sharks and rays. Uh, and their skeletons are made of cartilage. And the Wikipedia article says their skin is smooth and naked. <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Um, they do not have any placoid scales. So that's um, also known as dermal denticles or in normal human English words, uh, Teeth, uh, teeth scales. Yeah. Yep. So, um, if you listen to our sharks episode, they talk about that. Um, but basically, sharks have scales made of dentin and enamel. Um, but these chimeras, they don't have any dermal denticles or any kind of scales, um, except on their claspers. Hey, mm. claspers are their sex organs. So, yes. Okay. So I was trying to interrupt you, Abby, um, okay. to say that chimeras reminded me of an even weirder fish um, called the tripod fish. Oh, yeah. I thought about them. They're so strange. So if you haven't heard of a tripod fish, do yourself a favor. Google it. It's literally this fish that has these really long, weird fins that it just literally sits on. It does nothing but sit at the bottom of the ocean and wait for a shrimp to go into its mouth. 
That's also an ideal lifestyle. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> oh, interesting. Oh, wait, I kind of love them sitting on their little, <laughs> like, a, like a little tripod. Oh, my God. Yes. Great. <laughs> wow. Wild. Amazing. Yeah, they're, they're funny. I thought about them, but then I was like, but these chimeras, man, are just so, don't make sense. They are um, cute. I like chimeras. Why don't they make sense, Abby? Okay, so first of all, why no bones? Um, I get it, but like I don't. Uh, and then second, so they have their uh, their claspers, um, and they also have a venomous spine why on not? their dorsal fin. Relatable. What? <laughs> What, you don't have a venomous spine on your dorsal fin? You know, I think get with it, Abby. I, it's fine. I'll work on it. Um, but yeah, so, okay. So sh- they do have claspers for internal fertilization of females, but male chimeras um, also have retractable sexual appendages on their forehead. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I could not have guessed where that sentence Here was Here we going. are with the weird facts. I didn't supply them. So and, did. and they also have more in front of their pelvic fins. Why? I'm such a weird man. At evolution, what happened? This, okay, let's At fair. evolution, who hurt you? <laughs> to be fair, Literally. this is the first kind of evolution where they were like, okay, okay, so we have this we have to do this fish thing now. So this was just, this was, this was try number one. So they got better. Uh, <laughs> um, so they, they all started from the sharks because their upper jaws are fused with their skulls, which is unusual. Sharks usually do not have fused um, skulls. They also have separate anal and urogenital openings. That is okay. strange for a fish. Amazing. It's weird for a fish. Again, these these guys are try number one. They're strange. Uh, they, the pro- they do not have uh, teeth. They have three pairs of large grinding tooth plates. And they also have gill covers, which are called operculums, just like bony fishes do. At nature, uh, what are you doing? Yeah, so again, literally, they don't make sense, um, which is why I like them. Because <laughs> all my animals I like do not make sense. I like their big eyeballs. I do too. They're they're pretty cool. Um, yeah. So my favorite chimera, because there's several different kinds of species, is one that's called um, also known as an uh, elephant fish or a plow nosed chimera, and they have this weird little uh, thing on their nose. It's a uh, what is it called? An elongated, flexible, fleshy snout. Like a roseate spoonbill. Yeah, a little bit. So they just look crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and so Let me I just w- call up Mother Nature and be like, can you explain, please? Daddy Darwin, what happened? Oh, no. <laughs> I, uh... I held out for like two months. You should be proud of me. It's true. Mm. Um, the only kind of sad thing about these guys as a diet is a lot of times clams. So I'm sorry, Emily. But I don't it's think okay. they, eat, giant they don't eat giant clams. No, they don't. Um, mostly they eat mollusks, um, but they also will eat invertebrates, small octopuses. Um, but apparently they're incapable of eating bony fish. 
because they can't catch them. <laughs> Same. So they're just slow. Um, yeah, they're um, unfortunately a lot of them are being fished for um, different like food sources, especially in South America. Um, so especially they're um, really vulnerable to trawling and net fishing as well. Um, they are still considered mostly least concern, um, but not still not great. Um, but the cool thing I found out these is I know we just talked about how like deep sea fish aren't really in aquariums because they're really, really hard to like keep there. Monterey Bay Aquarium, killing it again. They have a spotted ratfish on display. Yes, they do. They really? Have, I've seen it. Wow. They have a deep That's sea crazy. Exhibit. Um, also, these guys can get to be about one meter long. Sorry, I forgot to mention they're big. They're quite large. Yeah, that is larger than I thought. I, I thought they were like Same my ancestors. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so when we ever get to do our world zoo tour, um, we can stop at the Monterey Bay Aquarium and go see their deep sea exhibit, which includes ratfish, which are also which is my submission for, uh, I guess not best deep sea animal, but definitely weirdest. We do love that. They have they <laughs> have sex things on their forehead. That's strange. All right, so uh, we've definitely been covering a lot about some very strange creatures and some of their stranger mating habits and appendages. Sorry. But boy, <laughs> that's okay. But boy, do I have something for you guys. Oh, boy. <laughs> so we've all seen Finding Nemo, right? Of course. Uh, who are you I talking to? I, I, yeah, I don't know why I'm asking that question. But... So we all remember the scene where they go down into the dark, dark zone, and then all of a sudden they see that one little light, you know. That's I see what I'm a light. <laughs> I see a light. So anglerfish are probably more of the well-known animals that you can find in the deep dark. But what I found really surprising is that there's actually 200 different species of anglerfish. Yeah. They're super diverse, and you can actually find them in places like coral reefs. But the ones I'm looking at specifically are down in those deep, dark zones that we're focusing on today. So the classic anglerfish that you think of, would you guess, is it a male or female or both? You're asking the wrong person, Kenzie. I say, I, I know all of this <laughs> stuff, because I think they're cool. I don't. So okay, I'm going to guess. guess both because it sounds intriguing. <laughs> so, turns out our classic version, the anglerfish, is actually the female. Dang it. Yep. That was my second Well, guess. but hold up. <laughs> it's never a man. I'm going to say, exactly. Katie, <laughs> not in this group. <laughs> no. Say, I feel like Katie could hold on, though, Kenzie, because I think I know what you're going to talk about next, and she's not completely wrong. Mm. Yeah, that's. So I know we were talking earlier about how down in those zones, it's very hard to come across food and resources. And it can also be really hard to come across mates, especially when you don't know where the crap you're Or going. if you have a weird forehead appendage that <laughs> makes you an outcast. <laughs> that too. I mean, technically, they do have a weird forehead. Okay, you're right. You're not right. In that sense. <laughs> not in that sense. So... 
if you were to compare the female to the male anglerfish, there is a very stark difference, a really huge sexual dimorphism going on there. And what happens is that once the male finds a female, he will actually latch onto her with his teeth and then fuse to oh, her body. Oh, yeah. Okay, I did know this, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So even he loses his major organs and his eyes, even his bloodstream will actually fuse morph into hers and the female can carry up to as many as six different males Ew. oh my god i know i know why would you so want to definitely not <laughs> we love a strong she's independent a- woman <laughs> she's absorbing their power yeah. she is she is <laughs> so that's something i found really intriguing very weird and slightly creepy but also very uh I don't know if fun is the right way oh. to describe it, but I also kind of like the energy it's giving off on some weird We level. stand a fish queen. We do stand a fish queen. Uh, but what I also found was really cool. I was looking on Google, as one does, and one of the questions that Google popped up was, are angle- angler fish blind? Not really. Uh, they have soft flesh and bones, and they have very, very small eyes. But what's really neat is that its skin especially adapted to reflect blue light because nearly all bioluminescent creatures are on the blue wavelength so the anglerfish can actually turn invisible to other deep sea animals Wild. and then it uses its lure of course to bring in prey and attract what? prey items the deep sea is so yeah. weird man it it really is it really is but the anglerfish didn't come to the attention of science until about 1833 so like yesterday so yeah, so like yesterday in terms of scientific uh, timelines. But you can actually find them sometimes during El Nino events. They oh. have been to be brought up to the surface in mass. Oh, holy be- cow. Oh, that would be so scary. <laughs> that would be really terrifying. You know, you're just on your little boat and then all of a sudden, They bam, rise from the deep. Literally. No, I would have loved to have been the first human to have witnessed <laughs> that or watch oh man i'd be like the ocean's full of ghosts man don't go there don't go there don't trust it there's a reason why sailors were afraid of crossing over the ocean (laughs) you don't mess with it you don't know i feel like you know we all give them crap about like they saw mermaids they saw deep sea creatures but then we get like this kind of a fact and you're like were they that crazy though (laughs) yeah were they i can't i feel that i really do feel that but uh, anglerfish, again, they are very diverse, and they can be at the size of a teacup and almost reaching to lengths of 3.3 feet. So see that, that would be a hard no. I just turned right back around. Goodbye. I don't want to be involved yeah, in that. But they a bony fish, uh, part of the Lophiforms family, which I actually remembered from my, what's the name of fish? Ichthyology. <laughs> Theology class at the university. Uh, you can tell that I made a C plus in that, maybe a B minus. People don't realize how hard those classes are. C's get are. marine biology degrees. <laughs> Look where you are now, Kenzie. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work with that. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, but I was also curious, though, because even though we don't know that much of their life cycle in general, or really anything that lives deep in the ocean, you know, if they had any 
threats to them. And it turns out they actually have been known to been uh, used in a lot of traditional dishes over in East Asian countries. They're actually considered a delicacy in South Korea. I completely forgot the name of the dish, but it sounded very interesting. I probably will never eat it, but they actually are being threatened by overfishing as lots of marine species are and bycatch as well. And of course, we have good old climate change to blame. Big sigh. Big sigh. So that's about as much detail as I we'll got. We'll take it. <laughs> it's short and sweet no, I to love the it. point. I mean, like, you just look at them. Honestly, that might be my favorite one. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I just think they're neat. I think the fact about them absorbing the mail is really... Also, it, look you know, at... Brought it, brought it home for me. You could say it sealed the deal. Uh, uh, never a dull moment on this podcast. It's true. Oh, no. Never. So should I, should I wrap it up? Take us home, Emily. Well, first you have to tell us who won. Okay, so I've given it a lot of thought. No, you haven't. <laughs> you didn't even know what to say. <laughs> All these people, the disrespect. Happy birthday! <laughs> the audacity. Good golly. <laughs> My goodness. <sighs> anyway, um, I have given it quite a bit of thought. All, you know, the past hour. And I think that of the animals selected this evening... Um, my favorite is, well, I think, see, I'm going back and forth now. Um, I think I'm going to give it to Emily A. I think I'm going to give it to the lantern shark because as mentioned, I have a soft spot for counter shading and counter illumination falls in that bucket. Um, but I'm going to give a honorable mention to any animal that produces its own light, any bioluminescent animals. Okay, fine. The tinafores and the anglerfish as well. I will give them honorable wow. mention. Just craft to us, wow. Katie, I guess. <laughs> Giant yeah, osipods okay. scare Fine. me. I do appreciate that you love them, but they do scare me. I don't think Whoa, she loves them. Love is a strong word. Okay. <laughs> I have a newfound respect for them. We'll take it. <laughs> Burn. Enemies to love or fake. <laughs> <laughs> and chimeras do, they are beautiful. I do love them, even though they look so strange. I do. That's them. why you love them, because they're weird. Exactly. Exactly. But I do have to give it to the lantern shark today. So I'll put a poll up on the Instagram when this, ep- when this episode drops, and we can um, see what you all listeners think. Listeners, just saying. One way or the other. Just saying, I have always been the one who loses at these little polls. I have never won one. So if you want to make my birthday extra special, <laughs> vote oh for goodness. the Chimera. <laughs> pity, vote. pity vote. Pity vote. I'll take right. it. It's fine. Still a win. <laughs> and with that, we will launch into our conservation conversation to wrap this episode up. Um, what we've learned today, kids, is that we don't really know a whole lot about the ocean um, and that we need to learn more about it. So if you are or you know someone who is a budding young scientist, um, get out there and explore. Um, there's so much more to be discovered. If you want to discover a species and name it something crazy or name it after yourself, that still exists out there. You can definitely still do, still do that in your lifetime. There's a whole new um, just... Exactly. Um, get out instead of the ocean. We know less about the bottom of the ocean than we do about Mars, which is just wild. Um, and then I'm going to throw in a good uh, don't pollute the ocean message because the ocean has too much pollution. Um, but the deep sea was often thought to just like absorb everything, which definitely is not true. 
Um, but that's what people used to think. They would haul stuff clear out to sea and drop it, including chemical pollution, which is still at the bottom of the ocean. And we've sent cameras, and we know it's still there. So think about where you're throwing your waste. Obviously, I don't think any of our listeners are going to go haul a 55-gallon drum of, you know, toxic waste out into the ocean. But, you know. Just in case. I did, I did recently drive through um, many states in the south and – watched many people throw trash out their windows so many people do still believe that the earth is their garbage can so <sighs> sigh you know big sigh so um, sit them down really... strap them to a chair have them listen to this podcast exactly um so with that listeners we're gonna let you uh have a great well before you go and... though uh follow oh us on instagram uh, follow us on Facebook and visit our brand new website. Woo! It's amazing. Check it out. It There's really some bios is. of us. Abby did a great oh, thank job. You. Beautiful artwork by Abby. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So go follow our website. Um, we'll be posting links to a lot of our conservation conversations if we give like specifics. So there's links to like the AZA. There's links to the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch Program. All kinds of cool stuff. So definitely check them out. Um, and there's a whole tab. It's just, we're making it really, really easy. There's no reason you can't just go learn more. Yeah. So with that, yeah. stay safe, stay sustainable, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Go vote. Go vote. Yeah. You've already voted. Well, it's going to be vote. too late, but yeah. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.